Emily was experiencing something psychologists refer to as cognitive dissonance. That's when behavior doesn't match beliefs, short-circuiting our wiring, causing dissonance or disharmony, friction in our psychological, emotional, or spiritual world. For instance, a person who smokes knows this behavior is dissonant with knowledge about how to stay healthy or, or uh, telling a lie creates dissonance within a person who holds to a value of telling the truth. Whenever dissonance is created, we will want to eliminate it, bringing thinking and behavior into harmony. Something has to give. Either the behavior changes, the thinking changes, or some form of rationalization smooths over the dissonance. If you think about this, For any length of time, even for a minute, you'll be surprised how many places it crops up in your life. Actually, you may discover you don't want to think about it too much, which is another way of dealing with dissonance. Pretend it doesn't really exist by living in the land of denial or avoidance. Of course, if you're like me, you may find it has a way of waking you up in the middle of the night. Well, that's what Emily was dealing with. She called it anxiety and confusion, and she was experiencing those things, but those were just the symptoms. No doubt about it, she was in full-blown spiritual version of cognitive dissonance. We'd call it spiritual cognitive dissonance, maybe. That's why she was speaking with a minister and not another sort of counselor, although I don't think she realized it at the time. Several things had come to a head in her life all at once. The reality of a dreadful marriage that had led her into an affair that devolved into a sort of unpleasant duty, and she was estranged from her children, and she was in a job that demanded she routinely misrepresent the truth to the customer, or as she said, flat-out lie. Although the company never formally espoused such behavior, it was simply expected of the loyal, loyal employee. Loyalty meant adherence to the company's reverse ethic of misrepresentation. Do that, and loyalty from the company meant hanging onto your job and your paycheck, and she had a great big job and a great big check. As our conversation warmed up, Emily told me she had grown up attending Sunday school, although she had never thought of herself as especially religious. Fact is, she had been away from church and religion for several decades. But for some reason, the older she got, the more the old learning haunted her. She referenced interestingly, the Ten Commandments, and she said she felt there was likely none that she hadn't broken. Of course, while she had never actually killed anyone, it was a good thing she didn't own a gun. But don't think I haven't thought about it, Steve. And I said something like, well, well, welcome to the real church. You meet all the prerequisites as a member of the family. Hope you'll stick around. We wound up having a series of good conversations about life and faith before she moved away. 
truthful conversations, transparent. I found it interesting that the Ten Commandments popped up every now and then, unusual in my experience. They evidently served as a kind of touchstone for her giving voice to the dissonance she experienced in her life. Spiritual cognitive dissonance. That diagnosis, by the way, lies behind many of the conversations that I have. For that matter, spiritual dissonance often animates my personal prayer. It's a ubiquitous human condition. We each suffer our own peculiar variations. I do not think it's possible to grow up without wandering into its terrain and then attempt any number of remedies, you know, booze, drugs, sex are pretty good options. Lots of things can seem to deaden the symptoms. So too simple acquiescence a la Darth Vader and throwing your lot in with the Dark Lord. Lots of others do it, and it seems to pay off. Anyone who takes the first proposition of the Ten Commandments with any degree of sincerity is bound to experience spiritual dissonance some of the time. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first. This exposes the fundamental human problem of idolatrous self-regard, putting something first, namely ourselves, besides that which actually belongs there, namely God. In this way, we do not stand then securely on the first principle of who's who and what's what, who we are, who God is, and how things have been arranged for our flourishing. Now, we don't generally think of the commandments in this light as the means to human flourishing. We tend to get stuck on the thou shalt not part of the repetitive equation which prompts a response like a rebellious child. But as the story is told, God seems to suggest to the Israelites that these laws will help secure the freedom he has already provided for them. I mean, that's how the passage begins, doesn't it? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, I'm the one who provided you liberty, and here are some words that will help you flourish in liberty. Well, you know, this can be a really tough sell in 21st century USA because we've made something of an idol of liberty and freedom, extending it into every conceivable arena of our lives, and it gets trivialized like this. Don't tell me what to do. I'll do whatever the hell I want, thank you very much. And even good things can become idols for us. We can swap places with God quicker than we can say lickety-split, in fact, I would say that is our favorite trick in resolving spiritual dissonance. We, we simply remove God from his pedestal. It doesn't change the facts at the heart of all things, but this can seem to resolve our moral dilemmas for mm, a time. Of course, sooner or later, since this formulation does not square with actual reality, 
we set up a whole new theater of spiritual dissonance. Think it's hard to live with God at the center of all things? Well, just wait until you've displaced him. And actually, friends, that's largely our human predicament, isn't it? Honest spiritual dissonance, you know, is good fodder for our work in the season of Lent. It helps fuel our own inward journey, traveling with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem and the cross. I don't remember the time of year my dialogue with Emily began. I don't know if it happened to coincide with Lent. Either way, she found herself confronting full in the face a raw experience of spiritual dissonance. She became aware of the uncomfortable disjunction between what she thought she really believed and valued and how, was, how she was living her life. She had become aware of the rot and was no longer willing to avoid it. She was actually very brave. And this admission was the fulcrum of a renewal of her life and faith. I was aware how little I had to do with her discovery. It bubbled up into her from a deep source like the Spirit's groan, too deep for words, that comes as a gift identifying our heart's desire. I was simply the person she found to share her groan. Like so many stories people tell me of their awakenings, I find my own faith walk confirmed and ennobled. Emily was really a courageous woman who was about to have a major breakthrough into a glorious freedom she found in affirming the first proposition of the commandments, have no other gods before me. I should tell you that eventually Emily found her way out of her work situation and ended the string of deadening affairs. Her marriage never recovered, which was probably the best outcome there but she was on her way to mending her relationship with her children. Life wasn't perfect, she wasn't perfect, but she wound up feeling freer than she had for decades. How did this happen? Well, you know, she learned a variation of Paul's discovery. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. We might say that she began to resolve his, her spiritual dissonance by deciding to do the harder thing, addressing the deep truth of her situation, stepping off the pedestal, and taking on the work that would lead to her flourishing. You know, friends, it, it always seems counterintuitive that freedom, true, true authentic freedom, comes by letting go and letting God. 
It's reminiscent of Jesus' paradoxical wisdom when he said, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This paradox lies at the absolute heart of Christian faith. We often spend our time avoiding the paradox. But to take it on and to live into it is the gift God intends for our lives. It's the heart of faith. That's it.